0: if you are eating a phenomenal amount of calories, the right kind of calories, right? We're talking about the broccoli and good quality calories. Then your body says, oh my gosh, nature is full of abundance. There's lots of calories available right now. And so your body does not feel the need to store calories. Your body only starts to feel the need to store calories when it feels that calories are rare. And so when somebody goes on a diet calorie restriction, their body internally goes, oh, there's a lack of calories in nature. I'd better hold on to the ones I've got. And then weight loss becomes incredibly difficult.
1: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley Podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley Podcast, everyone. Today's episode is going to be a little bit unique. I'm going to talk about why. Diets suck, and why Mind Valley just doesn't believe in diets. So, first, let me give you some background. I've been on multiple diets between my thirties and my forties, and it was always one of those situations where I would get in a diet, put myself through some ridiculous strain, be hungry all day, only to go back to my bad old habits post diet. Now, this isn't just me. The average American, according to certain studies, is on five. Diets in their lifetime. And in another study, less than 1% of diets actually work. If you can, check out this show, Adam Ruins Everything. It's an amazing show of comedy, partially, about this guy called Adam who goes and disrupts some of the most conventional ways in which people think. Now, there's an episode called Adam Ruins Diets, and he goes into all of the data and science and studies that show that diets truly do not work. And dieting is an industry that generates $65 billion a year selling a product so broken that the average American is on five diets in their lifetime and in most cases never actually gets the results that they want. I mean, if dieting worked, you would do it once and you'd be set. So in this episode, you're going to hear Eric Edmeades, the creator of WildFit, talk about the diet myth and why most diets fail. Now, WildFit is a health optimization program on Mind Valley. It has to do with using behavioral science, psychology, mindset, and education to change the way you approach food. But it is not a diet. It is based on modern science that shows that the whole calorie idea and counting calories is bunk. And while the biggest result that people get on WildFit is weight loss, it also transforms every other aspect of your life. Now, this isn't an ad. You can always go and subscribe to WildFit and check it out on Mind Valley. but I want you to listen to this because Eric is going to go through 10 myths that cause so many of us to go down this ridiculously useless path called diets, only to inevitably fail. So let's get started. Please welcome Eric Edmonds. <music> Luciani and this is the Mind Valley podcast. Now let's talk about what is a diet and why does it fail so many people.
0: So all right, what I figured out was that we use the word diet in two different ways. When we talk about animals in their natural environment, diet means way of life. Literally that's what it means. In fact, in ancient language, diet meant way of life. The way we use the word diet for humans is diet means temporary alteration to your eating pattern in order to achieve some short-term goal for some special occasion, and then slingshot your way back to all the weight you were meaning to lose, plus some more. I mean, that's basically what diet means in our world. But diet also means a bunch of other stuff, and I think maybe we can go through some of those things, because they lead to exactly why diets fail people. So the first item
1: is short-term versus permanent change. That's exactly
0: one of the issues. In the traditional world, diet meant lifestyle. That's not a short-term thing. I mean, hopefully it's not, right? Lifestyle should last a while. But diets are built on short-term. Why? Because humans, unfortunately, want instant gratification. And so the minute somebody tells you they've got a diet, so it's like, do this in seven days, or the 30-day life transformation, well, what's really going on is they're marketing to this person's desire right now for that to be a short-term solution, and that doesn't work. What we really want is to be healthy long-term. So we can't simply give somebody a set of short-term rules. What we have to do is go into their psychology. We have to go into their mindset we have to change what's going on there. I remember years and years ago going to see a motivational speaker. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm motivated, but the next day I didn't make any change. If you require motivation to do something, you didn't want to do it. And that's kind of how diets work. What we have to do is go to empowerment, inspiration, education, behavioral change. What we have to do is work on somebody's mindset so that they understand why they're choosing to eat this thing and realizing that that's not supportive of their health and getting to this place where they actually don't want it anymore. As long as somebody wants that piece of food, they're gonna eat it. And so what we have to do is help them not want it anymore or to feel free about it. In other words, to go, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Most people don't feel that way about their danger foods. Mm. So that's the first big difference. Now the second
1: one is the concept of willpower. Let's talk about that.
0: Willpower is such a funny thing. You know, first of all, diets are built on the idea of willpower. Do this.
1: Don't do that for this
0: period of time. It's like force.
1: Resist.
0: Yeah, it's resist. It's like caging and controlling and restricting. The thing about willpower is a lot of people tell you willpower doesn't work. And I would say it absolutely does work. Willpower absolutely does work. But it's a short-term skill. Willpower is meant to help you do something for a short period of time in order to create a change. You're not supposed to live your whole life on willpower. In fact, the truth is willpower is not something you either have or don't have. It's almost like which side of your mind is it on? Say you've got the food angel and the food devil, right? Well, you want the willpower to be with the food angel. The food angel says, we will not have that. We won't eat it. We won't have it. And the devil's going, oh, come on, please. Can't we, can't we, can't we? All that happens eventually is the devil just crawls around the back of your head, bonks the angel on the head, and grabs the willpower and moves over. And then you can't not eat it because you have incredibly powerful willpower. So willpower is a skill that
1: we, it's not a matter of whether we have it or don't, it's a matter of what side it's on. And studies show that willpower is actually an energy that you use up. So you can have great willpower in the morning, but you're gonna burn that out by the time it comes to evening. Yeah, exactly, and so what we wanna use willpower for
0: is to make short-term changes, short-term lessons so that we can really develop a sense of consciousness. The difference between somebody going, oh, I won't eat it, I won't eat it, I won't eat it, I won't eat it, that takes a huge amount of energy. That's so different than, I don't want it. So tell us about the pizza story. Oh, perfect example, Frederick comes to me, a consulting client of mine, in a totally different field, and he comes to me one day and he says, I love the idea of wild food, but I can't do it. I'm like, why not? Like, do you not have internet? I, what do you mean you can't do it? And he says, no, no, no. He says, one of my highest values is freedom. I just love freedom around food, and so I can't do your program. I just can't do diets. I just value freedom too much. And I said, well, define freedom for me. And he says, okay, this is his definition of freedom. Freedom is the ability to eat what you want, when you want, as much as you want, however you want. I said, Frederick, that's a fantastic definition of freedom. There it is. And I said, but can you not eat what you don't want to eat? And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, we just had lunch, And I happen to know you like pizza. So if I were to go order a pizza and it showed up here, would you eat it? And he goes, of course I would. But we just had lunch, you're full. And he goes, yeah, but it's pizza. In other words, you have no freedom when it comes to pizza. And the penny dropped. He got it. The food industry had fooled him into believing that freedom was to eat whatever you wanted whenever you wanted. Real freedom is to eat what you want when you want and to not eat what
1: you don't want to eat and that's the difference we have to make. That's a powerful lesson. So we completely misconstrue this feeling of freedom. What about Fred, Fred how much Thompson did he lose? He did the program, he lost 40
0: to 45 kilos. Like, I mean, we're talking about a whole serious tall guy. 40 but to 45 kilograms, that's about phenomenal. 90 pounds. His entire face changed, his entire body changed, his entire quality of life changed, but
1: here's the kicker. What he had completely was freedom. Now the third concept here, and this is something that I can't understand how people still buy this bullshit. measurements, and calorie counting.
0: The bigger issue is is that we're applying basic accounting to calorie counting. So, I suppose in the strictest sense, if you burn more calories than you eat, you should end up with a net weight loss. But calories are largely theoretical. We don't even know how many calories it really takes to run our body. Has anybody ever measured the calories they're peeing and pooping out? That's got to be part of the accounting table. And I mean that sincerely because What's happening for a lot of us is as long as we believe that calories in, calories out is a useful system, then what we do is we starve ourselves, end up malnourished, then we over exercise, burning the empty calories that we've been putting in, in order to create weight loss when really what's going on is we're stressing our body, we're telling our body that calories are incredibly rare in nature right now, and making sure that our bodies wouldn't want to release calorie one.
1: Consider this, right, the US government assumed many years ago, decades ago, that the average adult male needed 2,250 calories. They never even bothered to measure the requirement for women. And then they decided to simplify the model and say, let's just round it up to 2,000. That itself is inexact. Furthermore, U.S. government labeling allows any company, if they're putting calories on a can of food or an ingredient, to be 20% off top or bottom. So what you think is 80 calories could be 100, it could be 60. The point is, don't even bother with calories. Now, in WildFit, what's the approach to calories? One of the very
0: simple things to consider is the more calories you eat, the right kind of calories, the more your body feels that there's an abundant supply of calories in nature, the less your body feels the inclination or need to store calories. In other words, if you starve yourself, you do the opposite. Let's go at it from two perspectives. First of all, 200 calories worth of broccoli and 200 calories worth of Coca-Cola. I mean, why are we comparing them in the same way at all? One is absolutely not good for you, and the other one is irrespective of the calories. So that's the first problem. But the second problem is that anybody measuring calories has a fundamental lack of understanding of the metabolism, or let's say evolutionary biology. If you are eating a phenomenal amount of calories, the right kind of calories, right, we're not talking about those ones, we're talking about the broccoli and good quality calories, then your body says, oh my gosh, Nature is full of abundance. There's lots of calories available right now. And so your body does not feel the need to store calories. Your body only starts to feel the need to store calories when it feels that calories are rare. And there are some specific things that we eat that tell our bodies that calories might be rare soon or are currently rare. And so when somebody goes on a diet, calorie restriction, their body internally goes, there's a lack of calories in nature. I better hold on to the ones I've got.
1: And then weight loss becomes incredibly difficult. Amazing. So, we've covered three points so far. So, if you're choosing a way to transform your health, first step is don't go for short-term fixes. Go for something that's going to create permanent change. Second, don't believe the willpower myth. Willpower is not the way you want to approach health because it's an expendable resource. Third, don't do anything that brings in calorie counting. It's a large dose of BS that needs to be swept off health and fitness books. Now, number four has to do with guilt. Well,
0: I mean, guilt is the number one ingredient of a diet. First of all, it starts like this, as I mentioned earlier. There are people who, no kidding, I mean, I've talked to my clients about this, they walk through the airport, they see a diet book, and they feel guilty that they didn't buy it because they know they need to fix something. So the guilt begins even before the diet starts. Then they buy the book, but the vast majority of them will never even read the book. And then they'll feel guilty about not reading the book. And then some of them will read the book and then they will begin to digest the rules of the book and then something will happen after a few hours or maybe a few days or if they're really powerful with their willpower, they'll get out a few weeks and then they'll do something. They'll break one of the rules. Or they'll forget one of the rules or they just won't do one of the exercises. And then they'll start to feel guilty. And then guilt is an emotion that many people will neutralize with food. And so it's a perpetuating cycle. Any diet program that uses guilt in any way, like diet programs that do public weigh-ins, like, come on in and step on the scale in front of the whole class. Oh, really, you think that's gonna be useful? And they do this. The truth is, when you step on the scale, even in a room by yourself, even in a room by yourself, if you step on that scale, if weight loss is a goal for you and you step on the scale and the scale did not move in the direction you wanted to, you feel a little guilt, you create cortisol, which is a signal to your body that your environment is stressful, which will slow down weight loss guilt slows down weight loss. And every diet program that has rules are fueling the idea of
1: guilt. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Guilt slows down weight loss. Now, the fifth thing is the feeling of restriction. In addition to guilt, many diets often give you this feeling where you're being handcuffed.
0: That's so true. And remember that most of us have a little inner rebel. Like we like to rebel a little, right? And so what happens with a lot of diet programs is They're restricted. At the beginning, they're told, really stick with this. It's going to work for you. And so they might apply some willpower and they stick with it. But there comes this point where people just don't like being told what to do. And so their inner devil, their little food devil, their inner rebel is at one point going to go, screw this. I'm having that. I'm in charge around here. And so their inner rebel will break free. And so what we really want to do is teach people that real freedom is possible, that it doesn't have to be about restriction. The minute a diet program is about restriction,
1: long-term restriction, it's never going to work. Point number six is on the concept of yo-yoing. Why is it that typically when people go on a diet, they will put that weight back on almost inevitably, and then they have to go on another diet and another diet and another diet and feel lousy about themselves? There's a lot of reasons for this. One is really straightforward, and that is that
0: the average person in the Western world today eats a diet that is rich in empty calories and not rich in non-energy nutrients. There's energy nutrients, calories, and then there's non-energy nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and fats that we use for building blocks in our body. And so most people are actually overeating and starving. So they're overeating their calories and then they're starving to death on nutrients. Then they go on a calorie restriction diet. So now they start eating even less food than they were eating before, but I mean by even less food is I'm talking about the non-energy nutrients. As they cut down their calorie intake, they were already starving, but now they're eating even less healthy stuff. And so what ends up happening is their body rebels and it rebels tenfold. So they come to the end of their diet, which I'm amazed to find this out, but there are people, when we've pulled our clients and we've asked them at the two-week mark repeatedly, how many of you right now, this is the longest you've ever stuck with a health program? And it's 70% of them. 70% 70% of them have never made it to the two-week mark. And so what's going on is at some point after three or four days of this incredible restriction, the starvation kicks in, and they rebel again, and boom, the next thing you know, they're overeating to compensate
1: for the malnutrition. This is something so interesting because there's so many popular diet books out there, and they have maybe a one or two or 3% success rate, but like a 100,000 people buy them. So they take these two or 3,000 out of a hundred thousand, three percent success rate, they advertise it everywhere. I actually feel like, annoyed right now because I tried for 10 freaking years. I tried maybe three or four diets from 30s to 40s, right? From the time I became a father to the time I was 40, I tried all of these things. Nothing really helped. And I would yo-yo back and forth. Then I did wild fit, permanent shift. And now I want to spread the word everywhere. But man, I'm pissed at this bullshit dieting industry and the amount of billions of dollars they suck out of consumers without delivering the right response. I know they mean well, but it's crazy that so many of these diets are based on stuff that just isn't true. And this brings us to one of the biggest differences and one of the key points you have to be aware of, the great exercise myth. Eric? The idea is that if you're a little overweight or a lot overweight, it's your
0: fault. You've been eating too much. You're lazy. No, absolutely not. The first thing I want to suggest is that the food manufacturing industry is, in my opinion, significantly more manipulative and deceitful than the tobacco industry ever was. The tobacco industry manipulated something that we knew to be bad for us, that was smelly and gross, and convinced us to do it. Fine, but the food industry is taking something that is absolutely staple to our existence. We must eat. And they are making the wrong substances addictive, and they're reducing the nutritional load in the food, And they're putting us in a position where the people that we are trusting with our health, our food supply, are not on our side. They're on their shareholder sides. So now we've got diet programs that come along and they give you a bunch of rules, right? So you've got, here's the food you have to eat. Here's the food you're not allowed to eat. You know, it's all restriction, restriction. And here's the minimum level of exercise you need to be doing. Well, there's a number of problems with that. Problem number one is it just gives you more opportunities to fail. Any program that gives you multiple opportunities to fail is a program setting you up for failure. And so the more things you need to do immediately up front at the beginning is opportunities to fail. But there's a bigger problem, and that is most people today are overfed calories and underfed nutrition, which means that their bodies are in some level of disrepair. They're missing key important nutrients. So now we're going to push them out to go and do a bunch of exercise. In other words, we're going to push the body physically while they're malnourished it absolutely is a bad idea. I am repeatedly out there telling people, they go, I want to transform my health. I'm going to go get an exercise program. I'm like, absolutely stop. Do not bother exercising until you first change your relationship with food. Then exercise. Exercise will not make you healthy
1: It will improve your health once you've got it. So what happened to me was I thought exercise was going to help me lose weight. So I saw the late night infomercials, these 90-day programs. You're spending an hour a day. The models in these programs have these ripped six-pack abs. And I'm thinking, that's what I need. So I get into one of these programs. I injure my back. Firstly, I don't lose any weight. I get a little bit fitter, which is good. But I'm spending an hour a day. I get a little bit fitter. I don't think it was worth it. But I injure my back and I have to go for stem cell surgery just to get rid of the pain. It's nonsense. Now, a lot of people are going to have a hard time believing this, but I want you to know, modern research shows, Vox.com just released this article, 90% of your body shape is what you eat and not exercise. Now, I found that so hard to believe. I called up Dr. Mark Hyman, one of America's most brilliant and famous doctors. He's had like 11 best-selling books. And what he said is, he said, almost true, it's 80%. So whether you go with Mark Hyman or Vox, what this means is that Exercise is responsible for only 10 to 20% of your body shape. The first thing that you want to pay attention to is what you eat. Now, avoid getting into exercise programs, especially these rigorous exercise programs, until you actually pay attention to proper health transformation. Absolutely. Again, it's common sense. But
0: if you're going to go and push your body hard physically, your body needs to have everything it needs. And unfortunately, the minute we put somebody and like, we're going to put them on a calorie restriction diet and then we're going to make them do exercise. There's another really interesting piece of math here. Put somebody on a calorie restriction diet and make them work really hard. Well, wait a minute. From an evolutionary biology perspective, what do you think that means? Well, if you took somebody 100,000 years ago that was working really, 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 really hard and getting no food, what would their body deduce from that? Well, their body would deduce from that one of two things, that you're basically not a very successful member of society so we may as well (laughs) vote you off the island. But more than that, the body would deduce from that that maybe there is no food around, that you're doing all this work and there is no food around and therefore I am not going to release one gram of fat
1: because you might starve to death if I do. Right, and this was the study that showed that so many of the participants on The Biggest Loser were actually dropping their metabolic rate and creating harmful effects that they were gonna be leaving the show with. Now. Something else that's really interesting is this picture you shared of the Hadza Bushmen. Tell us the story of the musculature of the Hadza Bushmen. It's absolutely phenomenal. I shot the picture myself, and when I first saw it, I took a look at this guy. He was
0: 50 years old, and that's old in Bushman terms, right? They live hard lives out there. And I was looking at his triceps going, where do I get, does he have implants, man? Like, where where does he, but he's just living his normal life. But remember, we were talking about that research that shows that the average New Yorker does about the same amount of exercise as a Hansa Bushman, but they're doing the exercise differently. They're doing different things. It's one thing to walk along with one arm and carry a briefcase. It's another thing to be holistically hunting, so there's a different style of movement. But then the other side of it is, if you're moving all the time and exercising all the time and not putting the right building blocks in, your body can't create the musculature, it can't
1: improve the bone density, it can't improve your blood volume, it can't even help you build nice hair. So the Hadza Bushmen are actually eating healthier than the average American. Absolutely. And that's why they seem as fit. And again, if you think, no, they have muscles because they're out there hunting, a recent study showed that the average American In a city like LA or New York is getting as much exercise as the average Bushman. And that's fascinating. It has everything to do with their nutrition. At the end of the
0: day, Mother Nature is feeding them. They have evolved both the nutritional requirement and the ability to process the stuff that's in their environment. And there's no grocery store. There's no supplement company. There's no
1: manufacturer linking up their emotions to some other food. They're simply eating what nature gave them. That's incredible. So now we come to point eight. And this is one of the most fascinating points. Most people when you go on a diet, are obsessed with one thing, and that's losing weight. But that's not naturally the healthiest obsession to have. Eric?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Even if weight loss is important for somebody, if they really want to lose weight, and there are plenty of good reasons for wanting to lose weight, the latest study is showing us that if somebody is technically obese, that is seven times more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So there's plenty of good reasons to want to lose weight. But weight is not a good measure of health on a day-by-day basis. So what happens is people become obsessed with programs, and remember, it's not so much even that the programs are bad themselves, it's that people design programs or write books to go to the market demand. So if everybody's typing weight loss into Google, then everybody says, well, that's what you should focus on. And of course, the minute that becomes the focus, then that means that you're gonna step on the scale all the time. And it's really important to remember that your body is made up of fat and muscle and skin and blood and all this other stuff. And all of it is changing when you change your nutrition and your diet. So when you measure only weight, you're not measuring the whole thing. Body composition becomes important. I've noticed this with hundreds and hundreds of our clients where they get to a point in their progress where they're like frustrated. They're like, I've been on the scale and I haven't really been losing weight. Only I have to buy new clothes. And why is that? Because they're smaller. Now, one of the reasons for this is that fat, it takes up more space than muscle. So if somebody loses 10 pounds of fat but puts on 10 pounds of muscle at the same time because they've improved their protein intake, they've been doing some exercise,
1: then they have a net weight loss of zero They now have the right amount of weight and higher basal metabolic rates because of muscle. Exactly. But there's more to that. When you do the right approach, when you choose the right program for you, it creates an overall health improvement. Now, Eric, let's go on to point number nine, which is that many diets prescribe a singular one way of eating, which is the way most loved by the founder of that diet.
0: Yeah. There's a reason for doing it. And that is they're in a sense trying to keep things simple for the reader. Like just eat this. Like some of them are eat these four things at this meal. And some of them are absolutely crazy. Eat this one thing for 30 days. Right. So what we have to think about is the way we evolved. We evolved to live in nature and nature has seasons. In other words, there are times when one thing is super abundant and it's readily available and then it's not. And then the next thing is abundant and available. So, you know, most countries have, America has the RDA, the recommended daily allowance. And most countries have some form of that. And what the RDA is, is the recommended daily allowance of all these nutrients. But if you were to look at the RDA list and then try to imagine a plate of food that contained all of those nutrients, it's physically not possible. And that's because we're supposed to have variety. We're supposed to have seasons. We're supposed to cycle foods. Kale may be very good for you, but it's not very good for you every single day of your life. There's no food that's good for you every single day of your life. And so when a diet comes along and says, just eat cabbage soup for the next three months, or just eat these three things, then what they're doing is creating a sense of simplicity, and in many cases, you'll get short-term results
1: because what they're recommending is better than what you're doing before, but long-term it won't work. Which is why all the data shows that when you go into just one form of diet or weight loss or obsession, it's unhealthy for you. Keto can be unhealthy if you do it beyond three to four weeks. Intermittent fasting can be unhealthy, and I've had this validated by some of the world's top biohackers, if you do it more than two or three times a week. And so your body needs variety.
0: Yeah, it is really important to recognize. Like with the keto movement that's happening right now, you see that some people are totally pro-keto all the time and other people are totally against keto. And I'm like, they're both wrong. Keto is a season. It's a function of the body. The body is supposed to do
1: that in that season. So you picked up something important there, the idea of seasons. This is something that truly makes WellFit unique, seasonality of what you eat. Could you describe that? You know, when we first started teaching seasons,
0: every now and again, you would see some diet program that talked about like eat seasonally and eat your local food and what have you. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that humans evolved to survive different seasons optimally. So there were seasons where there was not much food at all. And there were seasons where there's tons of fruit on the trees. And then there were seasons where there was almost no carbohydrates available, hunting seasons. And where our bodies evolved is that We have organs that have multi purposes, like your pancreas. Your pancreas produces glucagon, but it also produces insulin. But it doesn't produce them at the same time. It's meant to do that because that way, in one season, your pancreas has one job. In the other season, your pancreas has another job. But what most people do is live in one season all the time. And the pancreas never gets to do the other job. And we wonder why now we have all kinds of diseases relative to the pancreas and other organs that are in the same way. It's really the ultimate biohack. What you're doing is you're taking a look and saying, if this is the season, this is what my body will do. So for example, if your body believes that winter is coming, and remember, winter for our species wasn't like Minnetonka, six feet of snow on the ground in Minnesota. It was sub-Saharan Africa. So what was coming, if winter was coming, was food scarcity and drought and water scarcity. So the minute your body got an idea that that was coming, Like chipmunks and squirrels, right? Right. They save up for the winter. Something tells them that winter's coming. They don't have an app for that. It's an instinct. We have that too. When our body detects that winter's coming, it starts wanting to store calories and hydration, fat. And so how does our body know that? Well, our body knows that because we eat foods that are from the fall season. When we eat foods from the fall season, which is heavy carbohydrate foods and fruits and root vegetables and stuff, then our body goes, oh my God, winter's coming. I should store fat. So what we're saying is we don't have to, like, mimic the actual seasons and what have you. What we do is hack our way to the results we want by identifying the season we should be in to get the results we want. So, Eric, how would you explain it to people who, say, live in a place like Singapore where there are no seasons? Right. So none of us are natural to Singapore. None of us are natural to Canada, none of us are natural to America. Humans come from Africa, and if you wanna kinda figure out how long humans have been around, it kinda depends on when you start the clock. Sapiens is 250,000 years, but if you really take our family tree, you can take it back about five million years. And for 99.999% of that time, we were in sub-Saharan, or in Africa, and so, That's what we evolved to deal with. That's what our instincts and our physiology evolved to deal with. So we don't have to worry about the seasons where we're living, we have to worry about the reality of our evolution. So our body wants to go through those seasons and wants to go through the resulting food variety. If you get stuck in one season and you eat the same food all the time, all food, even healthy food, has toxins in it. If you're eating like cruciferous, green, beautiful, wonderful vegetables, If you eat them too often, you shut down your ability to take on magnesium. So you're supposed to have cycles like this, and it's not about the cycle of where you live in Kuala Lumpur, or somebody lives in Singapore, or somebody lives in Minnesota. It's
1: understanding that we are ultimately African animals,
0: and we need to run those cycles.
1: Beautifully said. Now we come to the final point that you want to pay attention to, and that is a point on snacking. In many diets, snacking is a no-no, and you feel guilty when you have that inclination to take a snack. What is the actual way?
0: Snacking is natural. I mean, like, seriously. Okay, I have gone to visit with the Hadza Bushmen many, many times in my life. And let me just tell you something. They do not ring a dinner bell and bring everybody around at breakfast and then at lunch and then at dinner. That is a construct of social connection that we've created in our society. What they do is they live, they go hunting and they go gathering, and sometimes they end up with a big meal because, say, for example, they had a successful hunt. Now they sit down to have a meal. I went out hunting with them a year and a half ago. We did 27 miles on day one, we did 17 miles on day two in Africa heat and while we were out there, we're stumbling along, or doing our thing, oh look, that tree has some sour plums on it. So you know what we did? We snacked, <laughs> we snacked and then we went a little further and then we saw this bush and the guys knew what the bush was right away. So they grabbed some sticks and started digging at the ground and they pulled out these root vegetables. They're the most gorgeous root vegetables ever. Like they are so yummy. The best way to describe them is they're like, imagine marrying a purple, like those, you know, the sweet onions, a purple onion with a sweet potato. And you know what we did? We snacked. We've been snacking like that for millions of years. The idea that we would focus our lives on three gigantic meals that stress out our digestive system dramatically every single day, not normal. And diet programs, we talked about them before, right? They have guilt. Well, will combine that with snacking and then they have guilt. No, snacking is normal. It's not The question of whether or not we should snack, it's
1: a matter of what we should be snacking on. So let's do a quick recap. If you're choosing the right approach to transform your health, you want to remember the following. Number one, think permanent shifts, not short term. You don't want to have to do a new diet every year. Number two, don't get obsessed with willpower. What you think is willpower is a resource that you deplete over the day. And your willpower in the morning, you can use that up and no longer have willpower at night. So don't go for programs that insist you use willpower to resist things that you crave. Third, ignore the idea of calorie counting and measuring calories. A lot of it is junk science and no longer applicable in today's world. Fourth, avoid programs that make you feel guilty. Guilt is a negative emotion that actually causes you to slow down weight loss. Number five, feelings of restriction. Again, a negative emotion. And when diet programs create that feeling of restriction, it doesn't serve you. Rather, what you want is a feeling of freedom. Freedom to be able to resist bad food that's been pushed to you from good marketing. Number six, yo-yoing. What this means is that going on a diet, not working, going on another diet, not working, this happens to so many people. What you want, rather, is a transformation of your own belief system and your mindset so you gain your ideal health and you keep it. Number seven, exercise. Remember, exercise is only 10 to 20% of your body shape. 80% to 90% of your body shape is what you eat. So people make the mistake of getting too crazy about exercise and thinking that that is the answer. No, you go into exercise after you've fixed what you eat. Number eight, remember, it's not just about weight loss. The right approach will help you sleep better, will improve your skin, will get you off meds that you don't need. Number nine, there is not just one way of eating eating changes by season, and you learn to eat the right things no matter where you are. And the final one is snacking is actually pretty damn okay if you do it right. Now, if you enjoyed that episode, you can join me and Eric. We have a masterclass on Mindvalley. It's completely free. I did WildFit in 2016, and it had a transformative impact on my health. If you are on your web browser, Google pictures of me today, And look at how I looked pre-2016. I did fit between January, February, to May, June, 2016. And now, four years later, the results still stick. It had to do with retraining how my brain approached food and how my body generated energy. So check out this masterclass because you're going to learn an alternative to dieting. Now, you don't have to subscribe to WildFit and go through the 90-day program. This masterclass alone has done so much for people. People have reported dramatic changes in their health, dramatic changes in their weight just from watching this masterclass alone. So go check it out. And you can find this on mindvalley.com forward slash wildfit forward slash masterclass. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you again next week. I'm Vishen Lakhiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcasts.